welcome to the MS Dev Show episode number 13. This week we talked to Tim Park about his nitrogen framework and automating the Internet of Things. Got sweet code? Save it. The intro to reactive programming you've been missing. And why is C-sharp suddenly so popular? So Carl, here we are, episode 13. I don't know about you, but I've just been having a, a blast making these episodes. Yeah, definitely. So my goal, um, I, you know, I was talking to you, my goal, I did a little bit of on the napkin math. My goal is to get the podcast up to 50,000 downloads over the next, uh, about 12 months. And I think we can do that given it's about 20% growth each month. will will let us hit that, uh, that number. So everybody who's listening, I want, you know, everybody to help spread the word, retweet, put some tweets out there, get some incoming links. You know, we're growing at an incredible rate, getting lots of downloads. But we'd love it if we could uh, if we could really just take this thing to the next level. So anyway, this week we have a great guest. So we have Tim Park from Microsoft. How's it going, Tim? Good. How are you guys doing? Glad good, to be good. here. Yeah, this is this is great that we're uh, that we're able to have you on. Yeah, excited. Yeah. So uh, anything going on this week, Carl, or should we, we jump into the news? Well, um, I, I guess I do have a little bit of an announcement for anybody who oh, doesn't know. I, I totally forgot. Go ahead. This is big. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. On uh, July 1st, I was awarded uh, MVP for Windows platform development by yeah. Microsoft. Congratulations. Thanks. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. So do we have to uh, kiss the ring whenever we see you in person? <laughs> well, I, I could at least show you the trophy. <laughs> no, this is good. I, I know that you were really excited about it. And, uh, I, you know, you're doing a lot of really great work in the space. I know that you've uh, you've been trying to get out there more and more. And I, I think you're I think over the next year, not, you know, not just from this podcast, but in everything you're doing, you're going to have a huge impact. So that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. And it's definitely really exciting being, you know, with the group of people that I'm at, uh, a lot of people that I've looked up to for a while, I'm, I'm not one of their peers. Yeah. No, that's super exciting. Okay. So should we jump into the news? Yep. Okay. So this first article you sent me, go ahead and explain this. The title of it is called, is called got sweet code, save it. So, um, in Visual Studio, a lot of times, you know, I like to use snippets and using Visual Studio's own way to create snippets is kind of a pain. Um, I generally use ReSharper. Uh, I've paid for that. So I use their way to make snippets. Mm -hmm. But if you just take a block of code and drag it into the toolbox, you can create a shortcut to that code. So whenever you can just drag that back on, you'll get your code back. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So, you know, I've made snippets before and they're kind of a pain, but this is more of Hey, I need to just remember a whole bunch of code blocks and drag them back in. And yep. you know, this is, this is amazing for presentations. Yep. And, and it's not quite as dynamic as like a true snippet. You right. can't just have like placeholders in there where you, you know, you have three spots for three different variables or, you know, things that you may need to change around. But if you, like you said, if you have a, a bunch of code that you want to save away, if you're doing a presentation, you just want to bring it all out at once and then explain it. This is a great way to do it. Yeah. This is such a simple tip, but pretty handy. Okay, so next up, so I found this article. I thought this was interesting. It's called The Introduction to Reactive Programming That You've Been Missing. So uh, th this is a great follow-up to last week, our talk with Phil Hack. Right, um, right. We talked about it a little bit last week. Mm -hmm. And this gives a, a, a little bit of an overview. If you've never seen reactive programming model or you, you don't know what that means, you can look at this and it it's quite lengthy and it'll take you through, you know, the the first steps on what it is, the the programming model kind of how it, you interact with it. Yeah. And it's got a lot of really good uh, diagrams here too, to try to, to, you know, sort of ease you into this. And I really see two, 
two big uses of reactive extensions. There's the there's the one example where you're handling different, you know, like user interface events. And and that's pretty neat where you can sort of, you know, aggregate those things and and look for patterns. And uh, instead of, you know, nesting all these different button click events and, and creating a state machine. And then the other example that's that's more relevant to the stuff that I do is handling stream processing. So if you have a stream of data coming in from something and you want to you know, do a rolling average or you want to sort of buffer data and look for min max or delay data or, you know, even do things that are far more complex, you know, reactive extensions works great for that. So, yeah, this was I thought this was just a really cool uh, intro and it's it's fairly long, uh, but I think it's I think it's a really good read. And it's all I think all the examples in here are in uh, JavaScript and it's it's pretty easy to read. Um. Next one, Carl. Yep. Uh, the next one was a blog post by Bill the Lizard. Um, it's <laughs> called Why is Programming Language So? And basically what he did is he went into Google and just kind of filled in different programming, programming languages in there. So why is C++ so? And just he took screenshots of what it was. You know, the, as the idea is, uh, Google's going to respond back with what the popular, you know, right, things right. other people have searched for. So you get stuff with like, um, why is VB so bad and why is VB so popular? Yeah. Um, why is PHP so ugly? Um, it looks like every popular language. The first one is why is JavaScript popular? Why is, um, let's see here. Why is Fortran so popular? That's hilarious. Fortran is so popular. Why is Erlang so slow? Why is Erlang so fast? <laughs> why is COBOL so bad? Uh, um, I like the, why is C sharp suddenly so popular? <laughs> <laughs> suddenly yeah i mean i mean this is a, a little bit lighthearted, but um you know we all like to sit in our camps and i, I think most of us are guilty of that and it just kind of reminds us to a step back and everybody kind of has their own thing yeah yeah this is pretty good some of these are real short yeah why small talk so good so that one that's the only one that doesn't have anything negative with it i think these other mm -hmm. ones are why is it so good why is it so bad that's pretty that's pretty funly funny Okay, so up next, uh, Azure news here. Let's see here. Performance in the new Azure SQL database service tiers. Did you put this one in or did I put this in? Um, I can't remember. Okay, I must have, I must have put this one in. Um, so this is, this is just a good article talking about, I know that we've talked about the different Azure, you know, the SQL database tiers. And I, I think the naming is a little bit confusing whenever we talk about Azure SQL database, but this was formerly called, you know, SQL Azure. So this is, basically the hosted version of, of SQL Server. It's built, it's built for the cloud. You can also run a SQL Server in a VM, but this is the actual, you know, uh, SaaS, you know, the, the software as a service version of SQL. And this article has different, um, you know, different throughput targets. And it talks about the, the kind of performance that you can expect and, and you know, for, the, for what prices and, and just helps Helps show some of the differences in the in the various tiers. So it's just it's real good information. And they also explained like how to look at the charts because they provide telemetry on, you know, how how your instances are performing and right. how to read that to make sure that you're really picking the right one for you, not that you're over or under allocating your resources. Right, right. Cause yeah, you, you basically pay for what what type of performance and and latency and throughput that you're looking for. And then the next article here. Uh, Microsoft to roll out new Azure Store Simple Cloud Storage Arrays. 
So this one's kind of interesting. I, I think you put this one in, Carl, and I know yeah. we talked about this a little bit before the show. Um, but my understanding of the store simple devices is that they are basically a local cache for your files. So you you see it as a SAN, but it's at backed by Azure Storage. So if you put a file onto there, that will get copied up to Azure Storage. And I presume that if you have you know more files than fit on the device itself, it will do some intelligent caching where if uh, you haven't touched a file in a long time, that will be in Azure and it'll just get pulled down whenever you use it. And then this is talking about, um, um, I think this is just talking about uh, some new versions of that, right, Carl? Yep. They recently updated their offerings for that. Yeah. I believe it was the first time in several years. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting product. Um, I know that it offers, you know, things like end-to-end encryption. So, um, you know, it, it, it encrypts the, the data on the client before it sends it up to Azure and then vice versa. You know, it'll decrypt it whenever it comes back down. So to Azure, it's all just encrypted data. Um, so some people use them just for, just for that type of, uh, of scenario, but, um, these are interesting for like branch offices and, and I actually, if, if, uh, you know, if, if this thing is sized properly, this could work for, for pretty much any scenario because you get that, that, you know, fast performance, I think it local, but then it's backed with the, with the Azure storage. So should we get to our guest here? Yep. Okay. So. This is, this is pretty exciting. Um, so we have, like I mentioned before, we have Tim Park on the show. So he currently works at Microsoft. He has a history at Google and Nest. And uh, I've gotten the opportunity to work with him on a couple different projects. So I thought that we'd have him on. So you want to give us a, a little bit of background on yourself, Tim? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, uh, no, I came to Microsoft through um, the acquisition of a startup called WebTV. Um, and so web TV way back in the day, for those of you that were not around, um, uh, was a, was a device that, uh, enabled you to, to surf the web on your television. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and the, 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 you know, kind of the, the collapse in, in, in the price of the PC kind of made that obsolete. Um, but it kind of kicked off my career at Microsoft around devices. Um, that's kind of been the common thread through the rest of my career. Um, uh, so I worked on, Web TV, and which you know, kind of morphed into this IPTV product, so um, which AT and T and others use today. Um, before leaving, okay. you know, yeah, so I did that for the, the better part of ten years. Um, so I did a lot of work with devices, both in terms of the the client software, um, and then also the service software that that runs behind them. Is that um, the yeah? Is that the software that runs on like the Uverse boxes? Exactly. Exactly. Ah, okay. And, and, I wondered because I knew that that was written by Microsoft, but I didn't understand what the connection was there. That's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. So we, we did the platform for that, that all of these um, tele- essentially telephone operators have used to launch television services around the world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, 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 was, you know, that, that was kind of the, the, the bulk of my first act at Microsoft is working on that television platform. Um, uh, after about 10 years at Microsoft, I decided I needed to change um, and I, I joined the Android team at Google. Um, where I helped start, you know, uh, the applications uh, uh, team on, at Google. So built a lot of the the, the first um, uh, phone and and um, and contacts and calendar applications there. Um, before moving into doing some more kind of the media stuff that I was, you know, had a lot of experience in with music and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from there, I left and and um, and and joined a couple of friends that were uh, starting up um, Nest Labs. Uh, so Nest Labs, for those of you that aren't familiar. Um, is a as a company 
um, kind of, I guess now, I guess after the acquisition by Google, um, is kind of the quintessential kind of Internet of Things company, um, mm-hmm. even though they don't like to call themselves that. But what they're working on is um, a set of connected products for the home. Um, the kind of the the most uh, most known of these is a thermostat that essentially learns from your your actions, um, and so you use it. It has kind of the iconic. Um, uh, user interface from from some of the older school uh, mm-hmm. thermostats in the industry, um, and uh, it, it makes it very easy to program your thermostats and learn from your actions with a thermostat to save you both money and energy. Um, uh, and so I, I did that for a couple years, um, and and then this thing happened. Um, I I you know which you know I I, I don't want to paint it too too starkly, but it really was a kind of a, a moment in my life where I realized I needed to do something different, and that was when I saw um, I watched Scott Guthrie's. Uh, we were you know we were working with um, at Nest Labs with one of the other cloud vendors mm-hmm. at Nest Labs. We ran um, a complete you know more or less a completely open stack um, based on Linux and based on um, uh, JVM languages like Scala. Scala. Um, but then I saw Scott, you know, so I was, we were in the market for, you know, cloud services and, you know, Azure really was an option at that point. But then I saw Scott Guthrie's, um, presentation in San Francisco where he introduced, um, uh, Linux, you know, infrastructure as a service. Right. Um, and that really, I, I remember thinking, you know, this is the moment, you know, Microsoft is becoming more open. Um, I want to go back and be part of that. Um, and so I reached out to some of my, my old friends there. Um, and eventually ran into Tim O'Brien, who's in our uh, was wasn't was in our uh, uh, developer platform evangelism team at that point. Um, and we found a really you know interesting role um, you know for me to you know to essentially kind of help contribute to that. Okay. Uh, and so you know in my second act, as I describe it at, at Microsoft, I'm working um, uh, spending a lot of time working uh, uh, to help Microsoft be successful and help developers be successful. Um, with Microsoft around open platforms, mm-hmm. um, and so I, you know, I came back to help Microsoft both broaden its its platform uh, products and platforms to support these to these developers, and then to help developers using open source um, or open platforms like this to to be successful on our platforms. Um, and when I say that, I always I always feel like I, I you know uh, I need to to point out that. We're not going to do this at the expense of .NET, but in addition to it, and and right. you know the way I kind of kind of frame it up is that we're not. Our goal is that no developer um, is left behind. So you know we're, we do a great job on and, and improving the ecosystem around .NET. Um, uh, we do a great do uh, bring in you know some of the developers that you know traditionally haven't run on Microsoft platforms. Yeah, and, and um, .NET should be able to stand on its own, right? I mean, it shouldn't yeah. it shouldn't be you know forced upon people. I right. think there's there's plenty of people like myself. Uh, that love writing .NET, and that's fine. I I want to write that wherever I can to do you know to solve the problems that I want to solve. Yeah, and I think you know I I think more recently this is more apparent to people outside the company. But you know Satya's you know this is my interpretation of all this, of course. But you know Satya wants us as Microsoft to go where developers are and stop mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so if that's not that. That's fantastic. We're you know obviously we're you know, as you know Jason, we're investing a ton in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we want to we want to also be able you know be relevant for these other 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 developers and and increasingly we are. Um, and so my 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 role now is I'm working in a, a team called the Strategic Engagements Team. Um, and so what we do is we go out and um, and work on uh, what I would describe as first. Um, so we go and look for. Um, uh, uh, Projects that are have never been done before on a Microsoft platform, for whatever definition of that um, uh, may be, mm-hmm. and we go and do them um, and and write them up and and talk to people about them, 
uh, and and help drive improvements if necessary with our platforms to be able to do those, you know, to be able to tackle those types of things. Um, uh, so I've been doing that for a year and a half. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. We've made a lot of, you know, we, we've discovered some things that don't work and we've discovered a lot of things that do work. And, and, um, uh, and it, it's been a, it's been a, you know, fantastic journey so far. Yeah. So I, I got to go back to a comment that you made. You were talking about running uh, Linux on top of Azure and it uh-huh. reminded me of something. And I, I don't know if you've seen this. I, I get such a kick out of this. Are you familiar with the first bug in the uh, bug tracking system for Ubuntu? Oh yeah, I, I have one. seen it. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. So the yeah. title, the title is Microsoft has a majority market share. That was that was their first bug, and uh, it was closed uh, fairly recently. And uh, you know, basically, I think the the closure message. So it was opened, you know, by Mark Shuttleworth. So he's the one that started Ubuntu, Ubuntu, and oh. he's also the one that closed it. And he said that um, like it doesn't matter anymore, you know, because you can run. Ubuntu right on top of Azure. And, and, you know, I think the the name of the game now is everything working with everything else instead exactly. of these silos. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, um, yeah. And, 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 and Canonical and Ubuntu have been great partners with us on the Azure platform. We've done a, a ton of work with them through our, um, our open Texas city area, uh, to make Ubuntu run great on, on windows and, and, and on, I'm sorry, on Azure. Um, uh, and yeah, it's been a fantastic partnership. Okay. Now, uh, moving on a little bit with, you know, kind of your background being in uh, with Nest and Android and all of that. Well, what's your perspective on the current state of the Internet of Things, especially since it's getting a lot of buzz this year? Yeah, it's definitely the it's definitely the cloud of, of 2014. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, for better, or for worse, I think that's that's great uh, in some ways. I think it's um uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of confusing now. It's, it's kind of grown to include everything in the internet of things. Um, uh, that, uh, so it, it, to the extent that even it's being called the internet of everything now, right. uh, which is, which is fantastic. Um, uh, I think we're kind of at, the um, you know, the point in, in, you know, the point of internet of things where, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of vertically integrated systems. And, and, and the way that I kind of explain what that means is that we kind of are at the AOL and Prodigy stage of, of the development of the Internet of Things, where all these kind of vertical systems, um, and, you know, Nest maybe a good, is a good example of that, um, uh, work really well with their own set of products and, and don't work at all with other sets of products. So, you know, in, in, uh, this is, you know, is a problem in that, you know, you're either, you know, you have to buy into one ecosystem um, or um, and and you can't work with, you know, you know if you, you wanted to use door locks, which, you know, if you're in the mm-hmm. Nest ecosystem, you don't even have the opportunity to actually do that because they don't have currently have door locks. Um, and so I think there's a real opportunity. And I think probably the next, um, you know, the next big thing is that these these systems need to work across and 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 um, work uh, uh it's similar to the way that the web broke down these vertical barriers with mm-hmm. um, with AOL and Prodigy. I think the next thing is 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 really that that we come up with um, some way for these things to uh, securely and um, uh, you know with your permission work together with each other. Right. Um, I I totally agree. We we talked a couple episodes about the the Internet of Things, and you know I, I since then too my I, I've thought more and more about this about how I actually want things to to work together so if we talk about nest you know which is you know your background 
you know, it uses, uh, I think it has like a motion detector on the front, correct? Yeah, that's and, one of the, that's one of the sensors that it has on the front. Right. The, and then it'll also, yeah. I think it'll, it'll communicate if you have more than one, do the motion sensors work together? Do they uh, communicate? Maybe not. Yeah. They, so they, they communicate with, with each other. So okay. they communicate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's okay, right. So, through, through the cloud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, so I know that, that the, the thermostat itself has a couple different signals, but really where I want this to, to get to is that, you know, whenever I leave my house, my, my phone is no longer on my Wi-Fi. My Fitbit mm-hmm. can no longer talk to the base station my car knows that its GPS coordinates aren't the same at my house. And what I want to see is I want, I want those types of things to be combined. I don't think it's as simple as saying like, Hey, if, uh, if his phone isn't in the house, he's clearly not home. You know, I don't want that to be used for occupancy. I don't want motion alone to be used for occupancy. We, yep. we sort of need an aggregation of, of signals so that it can actually make, you know, sort of a, a guess at it because it, it's never going to know for sure. There is, there's really no way unless you're, you know, your body is implanted with some kind of GPS, right? Um, or you have, um, you and know, everybody, and everybody in your family as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and anybody who, you know, is feeding the cat while you're gone. Right. Exactly. Um, so that uh-huh. it knows like that somebody's there. So, you know, the, the, the internet of things, like there's a lot of simple scenarios today that we're talking about. And actually I shouldn't even call them simple. Cause like you mentioned, there's, there's security and, um, just having those things talk to each other. That's, that's like the first problem to solve, but it's, it's even way more complicated than that because, you know, to determine occupancy, I want it to take all of these single signals, combine them and then say, you know what? Um, his car is gone. His phone is gone. His Fitbit is here, but you know what? Maybe he just forgot the Fitbit and I, I bet you he's not actually here. I'm not going to, I'm not just going to use that signal, say, you know, uh, one signal to determine whether or not he's here. So that's really, you know, where I want to see kind of the next level of this go. Yep. Yeah. That makes total sense. Yep. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a, ton, you know, so the good news is there's a ton of experimentation going on. I would describe this as there's basically a Cambrian explosion of, of, of ideas and, um, and platforms and, and interest in, in hacking on the internet of things. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, I, I, I feel, I feel good that we'll, we'll eventually get there. I think it'll, it'll, it, you know, it's going to, um, no, I think we're on. The, we're headed on the right, the right, the right path. We'll we'll eventually get to the point where we have you know what you're looking for, and uh, um, and maybe a more a horizontal approach like we have with the um, with the World Wide Web to the Internet of Things as well. Right, and I've I've mentioned in the past too. Yeah, I, I think we we all just need to get along. I I think that's that some. I think Nest now with their API, they're they're fairly open. Um, but there's, there's some companies that are like, we're only going to speak like this and we don't want to follow these standards. And we all, we all need to learn how to get along and, and say, yeah, you know what? I I can speak this and this. And and if this other thing gets popular, I'll go ahead and support that because, you know, people want to feel like there's an an investment, you know, you, you want to buy things that you know are going to work together well. Yeah. And the reality is that you realize after you work in this space a little bit that, your ecosystem is actually made a lot more valuable by um, being able to interoperate with someone else's ecosystem. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, it makes both ecosystems a lot more valuable. So exactly. um, I think, I think everybody will realize that at some point. Okay. Well, that's good. That's, that's encouraging. So it, if, oh, ahead, if you look right now on the the nest page, they have a page called uh, works with nest. Right. And uh-huh. it, I, I just find it really interesting. All, all of the different products that integrate it from, uh, vehicles to smart light bulbs to to fitness uh, devices 
um, even uh, appliances. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of signals going into Nest. It's just that they, it would be nice to see the signals go through and beyond as well and, and just communicate with everything else. Yeah, I mean, so this is their this is their API, and they yeah. I think anybody can write things that that hook into this, and that's yeah, that's one of the the first steps. Um, I'm not sure about the aggregation portion. That's 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 the thing that I'm really interested yeah, in is how that, do we that's do that? the next step? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So Tim, um, I was watching. I, I watched a couple of the presentation you've done before. I know you go to a lot of conferences, and you have some. Yep. You you have some really good presentations where you you walk through kind of how we got here where you think we're going. And, and one thing I heard you mention that I thought was very interesting and insightful. Um, I, I didn't grab an exact quote, but you said that uh-huh. the, the money won't be made on the platform. It'll be made in the, basically in the implementations. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. So, um, you know, this isn't really internet of things related, but it's, I think it's more of a observation on software in general. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and the observation that I've made is that essentially, if you look at all of the big platforms that have been established in the last five years, um, and I think data platforms are a good example of this, um, all of them more or less have been open source. And the, the way that people are making money off of those is through services, um, mm-hmm. either services in terms of running them in the cloud or services in terms of um, uh, you know, providing consulting services or support around them. Um, and so that's the observation that I'm making is that, um, you know, going forward, it's, um, you know, I think we're in a transition right now from going from a licensing model over to, um, well, you know, a devices and services model, right? Where, um, you're, 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 the way you make money is you sell the hardware or you provide services to hardware. Um, and, and that's kind of the model that we're looking at, um, uh, going forward. Um, and there's, you know, obviously, um, uh, ecosystems that, that exist around that in terms of building apps in terms of, um, doing consulting work and, or supporting or, um, you know, or doing integration work between those. Uh, but the, the, um, the observation that I make is that, it, it licensing platforms is slowly changing to, uh, procuring services. Right. I think that's such a, I think that's just such a, a great observation. And that, that makes me a little less scared for the future because it admittedly, you know, you know, I work for Microsoft, you work for Microsoft and, and, you know, we, we, we see this changing landscape and you can't help, but be, you know, a little afraid. It's like, okay, well, how do we make money in this, in this new world? And, you know, whenever you, whenever you look at it from this perspective, you realize, okay, there's, there's so much opportunity here. It was really never an issue of, of, of making money. Like there's, there's, there's just unlimited opportunities here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you do also do a lot of speaking at IoT conferences, you attend them, and uh, being a Microsoft employee, what, what is the perception that people have towards Microsoft in this Internet of Things space? So Microsoft is really well received, at least at the conferences I've, I've gone to, um, uh, in the Internet of Things. Um, uh, I think that's because, um, I think there's, you know, I, I think we're, you know, Microsoft can be successful, you know, across all the spaces of Internet of Things, but I think there's a real... Um, a recognition, an increasing recognition that that a lot of the money that's going to be made in the Internet of Things will actually be an enterprise. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of fixation in the industry right now around consumer and in the home, and um, and a lot of that's been driven by, um, you know, Nest and the acquisition. But I actually think that there's there's many many more opportunities, probably 10x, 20x, um, you know, in terms of 
of you know building you know applications that matter um, uh, in the enterprise. Um, you know, Jason, I know, I know Jason and I have talked a lot about this around manufacturing. Um, there's, you know, that's just one area that can be greatly improved and greatly um, uh, through things like the Internet of Things, right? And already has for, for decades in, in reality. Um, and so there's a lot of areas in, in, uh, in the enterprise that can really be helped, you know, with, you know, by employing and, and making things smarter. Um, and so Microsoft, you know, and I think, people recognize and you know, obviously I, I agree is that Microsoft has a ton of assets to be really successful in this space. Um, we have a long now pedigree in working in the enterprise. Um, we have a lot of um, obviously have a lot of software talent. Um, uh, and then also probably something that's not completely recognized is we have a lot of design talent as well. Um, uh, that, you know, in a lot of, a lot of cases, some of the primary problems in Internet of things is how, how you build, you know, a user interface such that somebody can, uh, uh, you know, use it. And I think that will be as we kind of, as computation goes out to these edge, you know, more and more of these edge devices will be an increasingly important thing. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, you know, across all of these different things, we have the cloud assets, uh, the data platforms, you know, there's, it takes all of these things to, to really pull together a good end to end story. And I think Microsoft is one of the few, you know, the few people in the industry that really has, has what it takes to be successful end to end in this space. And so I think, um, you know, long story short, yes, we have a we, you know, well received. People are always excited to hear what, what Microsoft's thinking. Well, that's, that's great to hear. Uh, so let's talk about one of your projects here. This is a project that uh, um, I've taken a look at. I think this is pretty exciting. It's called Nitrogen JS. So you uh-huh. want to give us a little bit of background and tell us why you started that? Yeah. So I, you know, I started nitrogen because it didn't exist. Um, and um, uh, uh, you know, kind of the, to give a kind of a short description of what nitrogen is, is it's a um, uh, Internet of Things platform. Um, and you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you know talk you know. Linking back to what I said earlier in the show, there's a thousand of these platforms out there already. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what Nitrogen uh, attempts to focus on is not just being a telemetry data store um, for receiving telemetry from from devices and kind of pooling it up, um, which is what I would describe as a lot of the platforms that are out there today are, um, but really a um, an experiment in, in, in thinking about how you would build a device and, and application graph that really allows you to build the applications that use device data um, and only are able to use device data if the device owner authorizes you to use it. Um, and so one way you can think of what nitrogen is, is it's kind of like Twitter for devices. So devices can set up data um, or maybe maybe it's better, a better analogy is Facebook um, in that you have to have authorization to be able to um, to see a device's data feed. And so oh, it's all may, built maybe, on that. Maybe Facebook isn't such a good example. Though. Yeah, I probably, I, 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 probably, I probably need a better, yeah, after the events of the last few weeks, I probably need a better, uh, a better analogy for yeah. that. But the, the important thing is, and, um, is, is that it, 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 it enforces a permission, um, a set of permissions on the data that you, you're uploading from devices. Um, and so people can't, not everybody can see their data. It's only the, the folks that you've authorized to see your data. Um, and this is the model I think that eventually is going to come out that um, uh, we have this, you know, kind of a central uh, uh, directory for finding devices that may be kind of, you know, um, uh, federated between a number of vendors uh, uh and that you essentially uh, applications will ask. So if they wanted to, going back to your example about proximity or, or kind of sensing if you're in the house, um, applications might ask a number of these stores for, hey, can I have can I have uh, Jason Young's uh, proximity information uh, from any devices that he has? 
Um, and then you would be asked if you wanted to grant them permissions to, to access that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what the experiment, um, that's the experiment I'm doing from a kind of an Internet of Things standpoint. Um, I also started, I also started um, Nitrogen as uh, a way to kind of help me think through some of the infrastructure components that we need in Azure for our customers and, and partners to be successful in IoT. Um, uh, so Jason and I are, are part of this larger, of the same larger team within Microsoft. And one of our, uh, one of our tenants of our team is that um, you need real world experience to be, to be, you know, to, to really understand the, the area that you work in. Um, and so nitrogen is for me is that I, I, I work on it to understand what works well in Azure for the internet of things and what doesn't work well. Um, and you know, a lot of the things that I've learned from that, we'll, we'll start to see, um, you know, coming out over the next few months in terms of improvements to, uh, you know, service bus or, or, and other pieces within Azure, um, uh, you know, to kind of meet those challenges that we see coming up in with the internet of things. Okay. So you said, you know, security and identity by default, yeah, um, which absolutely. is really, which is really great. Um, so, so they would run, they would normally run this on, on some type of device. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, uh, 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 so the, 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 the area that I, that we're focused on is, is initially kind of the maker market. Um, uh, and this is because I'm also partnering as part of this project. Um, I'm partnering with the Raspberry Pi foundation to provide a platform, um, and Microsoft ventures, um, to provide a platform for the Raspberry Pi. Um, and so, it, uh, the, the platform itself is, is based end to end on Node.js. Um, uh, that's partly because I was doing a lot of work in, uh, the JavaScript community when I wrote this, but then also to, uh, because Node.js essentially can run across all of these platforms. It runs fantastic on windows. It runs fantastic on Linux. It runs fantastic on the Raspberry Pi. Um, and so the client for nitrogen is written entirely um, in, in in JavaScript um, and interacts with a background a, a backend which is is written entirely in Node.js, um, uh, and so that allows you to kind of have kind of a, a very a very simple platform that that can basically go anywhere um, from the, the browser down to a Raspberry Pi um, to uh, you know gateway devices which might be built on your PC um, or or in a um, you know even if something is, is, is small as a router. Um, uh, uh, so that's, you know, kind of the, the high level, you know, view of it. It's, it, it's, it's built to be something you can take anywhere and, and run anywhere. Um, and, uh, um, and it's built, you know, to, to, as kind of an experiment to get people, uh, playing in this space. I want, you know, one of the, the, the reasons we, you know, Raspberry Pi foundation, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, uh, built the Raspberry Pi initially, uh, to uh, provide low-cost computing to um, uh, to folks in the third world, is the way I would describe it, or even the first world. Um, uh, so it's you know thirty-five dollar computer that can run a web browser, and it gives people access to the you know the, the combined knowledge of the internet. Um, what they didn't, so it's been spectacularly successful at that goal. But what they didn't realize is that it's become this incredibly um, popular prototyping platform as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know over forty percent of Raspberry Pis that are sold. End up in somebody's uh, maker project, essentially, and they've okay, sold over. Cool. You know, they, they've sold over six million of these, so that's a considerable number of, wow. of devices in a maker project. Um, and you know, one of the things that, that, that the consistent pieces of feedback that the, the, the Raspberry Pi Foundation has got is people want to build the hardware, but they're not as interested in, or they don't have the expertise to do the, the software. And so um, they approached uh, um, uh, 
us through uh, Microsoft Ventures there in the UK. Um, and so we're working with them to kind of provide you know, this, this platform, Nitrogen, uh, that makes it easier for people to build those types of projects uh, without having to sacrifice security and, and whatnot. So um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, that, that people have a chance to, to use it. And I'm, I'm thankful to Microsoft Ventures for the support and, and providing the platform. Um, and so we'll see. We're going to put it out um, and uh, next uh, few weeks uh, for a much more pro- public uh, trial. And then we'll we'll go from there and see where it ends up. OK, that's pretty exciting. So I I went I grabbed all of the source code. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I was kind of poking around a whole bunch of different pieces. It, I think it's, it's very well written. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all the pieces, but yeah. for the, for the people that are listening, I, I'd like to kind of help them understand some of the, you know, what the different pieces do so that they can yep. sort of wrap their head around what, what embodies nitrogen. So, um, let me just, I'll just kind of walk through my experience with it. So, um, what was kind of interesting or kind of slick was that I was able to grab, um, a project off, you know, everything's all the codes in GitHub. I was able to grab the camera project and that project, uh, lets you configure a little command line utility. And there's a different command line utility for windows and Mac, but it, it sets it up so that you can authenticate this little agent, uh, this little Node.js script and against, uh, a server that you have running in Azure right now. Um, mm-hmm. so you put in your credentials, it, it, it authenticates itself and then, it, like I said, it calls off to this little command line camera utility. It grabs uh, a picture off your off your camera and then can send it up to Azure. And it maintains that connection. I believe you're using uh, Socket.io. Socket That's uh, right. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. So then what I'm able to do now is I'm able to go to the administrative screen that you, know, f- that you have set up in Azure. I can log in as myself. And that system knows that, you know, that device is mine. You know, it's it's become... There's a, there's a principle for myself and then there's like a security principle for the device and, and those are matched up. So it knows that I should have access to that device. That's right. Um, and then I go in there and I say, grab an image or, you know, take a picture right now. And I could be, I don't even have to be home. I could just push that button from the internet. Uh, thanks to socket IO it's, uh, you know, basically able to send a signal back down to my computer, uh, you know, at my house, grab a photo and then send it back up um so that i can look at it online first of all do i have all that correct you do that's that was that was fantastic okay good (laughs) i want to make sure i had that correct and then um you know you can these various pieces like the portion that you have running in azure all that source code is in in github as well um you have a lot of different device types obviously you can you can build some of your own types of devices i was just running it on my local computer but like you mentioned you can hook in a raspberry pi and you can do things like um uh, you know, use a, I think a camera shield connected to that. And then you can do different types of scheduling. I think you have an example there for taking a photo at like sunrise and sunset as an example. Yeah, um, uh-huh. so it really shows, I think it's neat because it, it, it did take me a little while to wrap my head around some of the pieces, but it really shows that, you know, you have a way of doing things at certain times or continually, or, you know, on a schedule and then those things that you're doing can be can happen with different devices and the type of device doesn't really matter. But, you know, you have like this messaging system, like you mentioned, you know, like, you know, Twitter for devices. And um, it, it's pretty neat because it's it's it it's generic enough that I, I think you could build a whole bunch of really cool things with this. But it has enough functionality that it is pretty easy to get started once you understand conceptually what's going on there. 
yeah, that's thank you. That's a fantastic description of you know kind of the the first steps of it, and that's um, uh, 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 you've got you've you've stumbled onto one of the things that that's another one of the key parts of the project, which is kind of trying to establish this vocabulary for how devices talk to each other. Right. Um, I think in the future we'll eventually come across um, you know have kind of this common language that we speak between devices, such that you know applications and devices can be really um, uh, you know held at an arm's length distance from each other so enough to know about each other's implementation but can ask each other to do things with yeah. the right right permissions in place right so. well i have to say that javascript works really good for these types of messages because you know it obviously expresses the messages in json and it makes it extremely flexible and it also mm-hmm. makes it real easy to work with in in javascript c sharp is you know that it's a little bit difficult there's some dynamic functionality in there now that that makes it pretty easy to work with but that definitely makes some of the project a little more um you know, dynamic and, you know, and it really simplifies some of the code, I thought. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I wrote all of JavaScript mostly because it runs everywhere. I think mm-hmm. a lot of these concepts can extend um, to actually to, to .NET um, in terms right. of building applications and whatnot. Um, um, so I, you know, I, I mostly did that as a, you know, because JavaScript, obviously I wanted to have a browser client as well as a, a client that ran on Raspberry Pi and a client that ran on uh, Windows and on the Mac. And, when I did all that t- together in my head, I came up with JavaScript, but um, as the first client. Um, uh, but there, there's definitely an opportunity if people are interested in contributing to building um, a .NET client for this. I think .NET Micro would be fantastic as a um, a client library for for Nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on my list, um, and I think a C client would be fantastic um, for even smaller devices. You know, devices less capable than the Raspberry Pi as as one of the others next steps. So. Um, uh, I think the yeah the, the the core thing to nitrogen is the exchange of messages with a a, a verified schema um, uh, that where pr- permissions are applied such that you know devices um, can only share data with applications or other users that that are authorized. And that's really the core concept, and all these other things are kind of implementation details around that. Um, uh, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, you know, I'd love if anybody you know listening to this has feedback on the platform. I'd love to hear. Um, it's really a community project and a way to um, engage the community to find the right solution. Um, I don't claim to actually know the right solution in this space. It's kind of a it's my experiment, my my straw man essentially to 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 kind of help help find the right solution. So as a as a community, right. And and I commend you for starting with security by default. My my typical strategy is to to build something really cool and then slap a whole bunch of security on it later. Yeah, and that <laughs> that comes out of and um, that comes out of out of experience of um, of I think I think permissioning and security are the um, and privacy um, are the core problems of the Internet of Things. Um, not messaging, um, not not any of these other things. I think those are the core things, um, uh, the, the core things we need to figure out for the Internet of Things. Um, and then I that's why I tackled it first. Right. So do you, um, can you, if somebody, you know, somebody's listening and they're interested in, in starting out with nitrogen, uh-huh. um, how, how do you suggest that they get started with it? Yeah. So there's, a, um, uh, uh, so the guide that Jason went through is a fantastic, um, first step. Um, and you can do that with just a computer. Um, so you can just use your laptop if it has, um, the one, the one requirement it has to run through the guide is that you have an integrated camera in whatever you're using or a USB camera. Um, uh, so you can get started with that, that guide. If you go to, um, HTTP slash slash nitrogen.io, um, that's the project homepage. 
Um, and there's a set of guides that essentially walks you through getting set up with um, and, and connecting your first device with nitrogen. Um, um, and so that's 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 honestly the best best first step. Um, if if you get through with that and you and you build a project or you have trouble with the guide um, or have feedback with the, the the project in general, feel free to to reach out. There's also a link there for um, to contact me. Um, and if you're interested in, in contributing, I would love you know. I'd love to 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 have more contributors as well. Yeah, because so. you're you're accepting uh, pull requests, right? That's right. Yeah, okay. absolutely. It's a it's a it's a it's a, a project completely developed in the open. So perfect. So um, with all of the uh, development stacks you know around us moving at an insane pace, I mean, what's your perspective on this uh, as it pertains to this topic too? Yeah. So. Um, uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, I, w- I will admit to being somewhat exhausted um, <laughs> as well. Um, uh, so, I, you know, having talked about all this JavaScript, I've been spending a lot of time in the JavaScript ecosystem, and it is just incredible how fast things are moving. I, uh, I think we're on... So there's, uh, you know, for those of you that are are in the JavaScript community, there's a there's a a build tool called Grunt that a lot of people are using, and I think over the course of the last six months, there have been four or five proposed successors to Grunt. Um, first, Gulp, and then Broccoli, and then um, uh, you know things even beyond that. Um, and this is fantastic. I think I think there's you know there's an immense amount of innovation going on, and I think this 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 extends to all all the ecosystems. I think. Um, uh, open source and just you know the the connectivity that everybody has now um, uh, to 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 you know uh, have a virtual beer with somebody and talk about how things could be improved and then actually act on them and make them better um, is just is just fantastic. On the other hand, it is it is it is hard. It really requires a lot of investment to keep up um, uh, for some of these ecosystems. I think that's. Uh, that's the downside of, of, of that, um, of the innovation side of things. I think, um, uh, uh, but I think it's well worth, you know, the, the kind of leap forward we're making across all these ecosystems. Um, excellent. Anything else you want to say about nitrogen or any more questions, Carl? Nope. It's uh it's a, it's a pretty neat project. So I recommend everybody check it out. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so that everybody can, uh, go at least take a look at it and, uh, and, and just, to see what's going on there. I, I, I think it's worth uh, jumping in. Um, I think I mentioned, I think it was last, our last episode, I mentioned that uh, I created in a, a transport for the Winston logger. And hopefully we're going to get that integrated into, into this project so that what you can do is um, you can go out there and you can view real-time log messages from this whole system, you know, client server, the the whole thing. So I'm trying to, you know, contribute back to this thing and and make it better. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Yep. And yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to working with you on that. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let's go on to our Azure Pick of the Week then. So this one I am really excited about. Uh, I was actually a little surprised that this was announced. I know that this was going to be announced at WPC, but there was a blog post that actually spoke about it early. Um, it was Azure Event Hubs. And the only description in the blog post was, um, I'm just going to read it verbatim, a new service that can broker millions of events per second, allowing partners and customers to pull in, process, and analyze data from a nearly infinite number of cloud-connected smart devices. So I think this is comparable. The, the existing product that I think this is comparable to is like Amazon Kinesis, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, where they're able to handle, you know, thousands or millions of streams from from these various devices. So I think this plays right into the Internet of Things that we were talking about. So I don't know. I don't know if you've used this at all with uh, with nitrogen, Tim, or if you if you plan on taking a look at this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what I was talking earlier about, you know, having uh, you know, the work that we're doing externally with with partners to kind of drive improvements to the platform and Event Hub is one of these. You know, we realize that we need a higher scale ability to ingest uh, 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 data like this. And yep. so, um, uh, you know, Event Hub is one of those things that's coming out of that. Um, and as soon as it's, a, you know, as available and uh, uh, generally available, I'll, I'm definitely going to integrate it in Nitrogen. That's exactly what, what it's needed for the space. Yeah, I've known about this one internally for a few months. And I, I got to say, this is the, you know, this out of all the technologies that that we've worked on and been, you know, that have, have come out and we've been talking about internally, I got to say, this is one of the most exciting to me because this fills such a need and it really is going to power the the Internet of Things because, you know, you don't have to you don't have to figure out how to scale the number of streams. You know, you just it's just handling that for you. And then on the back end, you you know, there's there's a number of ways to actually deal with that, that, you know, sort of combined stream and figure out how you're going to react to the, the data that's coming in. So, Carl, you want to talk about the app of the week? Yep. Uh, this week's app of the week is called Video Tuner. It's by uh, uh, Microsoft Mobile, so the division that used to be called Nokia. And uh, what this does is it lets you uh, edit your videos right on your right on your phone. Um, right now, I believe it's a, a Windows Phone 8.1 only app, but um, it allows you to uh, add music, trim, crop. You can change the aspect ratio. Uh, you can rotate. You can add. Uh, overlays onto it and adjust all of the other things that you would do normally on a photograph, uh, change the exposure, the contrast, you know, pump up the volume, speed it up, slow it down. Um, I had a chance to check this out. It works really good. Um, uh, I have a Lumia 928 and it just worked really solidly on there. Does this let you crop the video? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Cause that's, a, that's something that's traditionally just really difficult. I know it sounds kind of silly, um, but it, it's, you know, sometimes you just, you just want to crop the video and, and there's not, honestly, there's not a lot of tools that, that make that really easy. This is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, if you, you know, you take it in 16, nine, but you want to like crop it to four, three, or if you right. just want to, you know, something really big and vertical or, you know, a square, um, um, they also have Instagram like filters that, um, as you're editing them, uh, with some of those filters and some of these other ones, they actually loop your video over and over if it's a small one. Mm-hmm. So it, um, you can just worry about, you know, making your tweaks the way you want and it'll be applied evenly over the entire thing. So this is from Microsoft Mobile. So is that the is is that the old Nokia team? Yes, it is. OK, I got you. That's that's great. I mean, they, everything that they make, the all of the apps are are amazing. Have you compared this to the Windows 8 app that does something similar? I think it's called like Movie Maker or something like that. Yeah. And this is has a, a lot more features, um, especially considering that this is a phone only app. Okay. Whereas the, whereas the other one I believe is a universal app. Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. This, this looks really awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty rare that I want to edit a video on my phone, but it, it does come up and it's usually when I'm on vacation and my kids are playing at the water park or something and I, you know, I'm sitting around and it's like, I just want to push, put a couple of clips together, maybe do some quick adjustments and then, and then share it. Uh, well, I, I find more and more now that we're moving more and more to our devices that I just don't want to be on my computer if I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, th- there'll be those times where, you, yes, you may have taken the video of the kids in the afternoon, but uh, you're winding down at night, kind of half watching your, your TV show, but you could be editing and posting it to like Facebook or whatever. Yeah, this is pretty cool. And with the 1080p screen on the, you know, Lumia 1520, this is, this has got to be a great pairing. I'm going to, I'm going to play around with this. This is pretty cool. Cause yeah, if you, you know, you go on vacation and if you upload your, your video, you know, a week afterward, it just doesn't have quite the same effect. It's like, yeah, we were here a week ago. We're not there now, but here's, you know, here's what we did. Um, if you can do it while you're there, I just, I think there's a kind of a, a neat effect there. People can kind of share in that. Yeah. I think that for anybody who's a developer out there too, um, you know, it, it's a slightly different UI, um, but, you know, it's still very, you know, Metro feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of pointers that people can take out of just, you know, trying it out and using it for a bit and taking some of the, you know, the things that they like to their own apps. Cool. Okay. So Tim, where can people find you and uh, how can they get to your projects? Yeah. So um, best way to reach me is on Twitter. I'm Tim Park. Um, all one word on Twitter. Um, uh, I also have a blog. Um, I don't post to it as much as I'd like. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to put that as a good thing because I'm, I'm busy doing interesting things at work. Um, <laughs> uh, and then also, uh, so my blog is timpark.io. Uh, and then finally, Nitrogen, uh, the, the project I'm working on, uh, the personal project I'm working on is um, nitrogen.io. So okay. you can reach me any of those three ways. You'll be able to find ways to reach me. And I'd love feedback. So. Perfect. And then the show, uh, email us your feedback. It's feedback at msdevshow.com. We'd love to hear, um, you know, if you have a guest suggestion or you want to hear something different on the show or you want to cover a certain topic, just send us an email uh, and make sure that you subscribe to the show. You can search for MS Dev Show in uh, any of your favorite podcasting apps. And then uh, we also wanted to mention that we are media sponsors for that conference. I know we've talked about it before. Uh, so I'll be speaking about Orleans and then on next week's episode, we're actually going to have Clark sell. So he's the guy who started that conference. Um, so I think that's going to be, uh, exciting to talk about or talk to him. Uh, he currently works at, at Telerik. So, um, we'll have to hear what he's up to, but make sure that you buy your tickets. Cause we only, I think we're about a month away and this is a super fun conference. This is one where you can, you can take your kids, uh, the, it's, it's at a water park. So you get to go to your sessions by day. You get to check out the water park at night. I know that last year there were some exclusive times where people that were at the conference got to go to the water park. Um, you know, they basically shut down the water park, kicked everybody out, except for, you know, people that were at the conference were able to go in. Um, so there were really no lines for anything. So definitely go out there and get your tickets for that conference. It's an exciting event. And you can find me at ytechie.com on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash ytechie. And Carl? Yes, you can find me. Um, I run the website WPDevGuy.com. Uh, this week, I got a, a great article about uh, three simple ways to make your apps look good without a designer. Check it out if you're interested. And you can also find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Yeah, this was a this was a great post because I uh, I'm definitely not a designer. So everybody, go check this out. Um, Carl's got some good advice out there. 